The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, a very warm welcome to what is going to be a stunningly busy scorebox. We are live in London. Jeff is in Basel. We've got Annette in Frankfurt. Uh, and, uh, well, the earnings season really peaking ahead of key central bank decisions later. So let's get straight into the headlines. Well, we're waiting on uh, Roche numbers just starting to trickle through here. A few things to focus on, both the diagnostics and the pharmaceutical business, and to what extent both of those divisions will have been hit by the decline in sales related to COVID-19. One of the major focuses on Roche numbers for us, and we will catch up with the CEO, Severin Schwan. It's a first on CNBC interview at 10 past 8 CET. Deutsche Bank is also on tap this morning with investors looking to see whether the German lender hits its restructuring target. We are going to hear from the CFO, James von Moltke, at 7.30 CT. The Federal Reserve takes its foot off the pedal, delivering its smallest rate hike in a year, while signalling plans to hike again in March, despite cooling inflation. While recent developments are encouraging, we will need substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a sustained downward path. The Bank of England and European Central Bank unveil their own rate decisions today as a Eurozone inflation eases for a third straight month. We'll speak to the BOE Governor Andrew Bailey at 1600 GMT. Right, let's kick this off as well. We've already got a CEO waiting in the wings. Uh, Year-to-date, Roche shares down 3.8% as well. Lots of data coming from the group as well, including the fact that they expect a decrease in group sales in low uh, single-digit range at constant exchange rates going forward as well. They're proposing a divvy of 9.5 Swissy per share. Core earnings per share rising by 5%, 2% in Swiss uh, Frank's diagnostic division sales growing 3%. Pharmaceutical division growing 2% as well. Group sales grow by 2% at constant exchange rate CER and 1% in Swissy, despite lower COVID-19 related sales in both divisions. One more for you. Uh, Roche reports good results, so say they, at the top of their headlines, uh, despite declining demand for COVID-19 project, uh, products. That is the headlines. Let's get to Jeff live in Basel. Yeah, Steve, thank you very much indeed for that. I think the market has uh, already factored in a lot of the cliff edge for COVID sales. Obviously, they're involved in the diagnostic kits to test whether you have the disease and other antiviral products related to treatment of COVID. And it was anticipated that those sales in both segments for Roche were going to decline. I think what will be interesting as we get into the weeds with Severin Schwan is just what the promise is of some of the new pipeline drugs. Ultimately, there's a whole slew 
of cancer drugs like Pajeta, Hemlibra and Tocentric, um, which are all related to either cancer or haemophilia treatment. And it'll be, um, I think, important to hear from him how much progress they are making in commercialising those particular products here. Also, as we come away from the pandemic and healthcare systems try to re-establish the focus on non-infectious diseases, what is the expectation for full year 2023 in terms of the pickup in sales that they may see for individual products? And you, you heard yesterday how uh, Vaz Narasimhan at Novartis was critical of IRA and the desire to reduce uh, drug prices in the United States. That would obviously hit uh, margins over there. Maybe Roche is slightly less dependent on some of those same product areas, but it is a question that I will put to Severin Schwan as we have that conversation in about an hour's time. Steve, back to you. I'll pick it up, Jeff. A lot of earnings rolling through, including from ING, fourth quarter and for the full year. Just to give you the line for 2022, uh, $3.67 is the net result that you've seen for the year. Final 2022 dividend of 0.389 euros per share declared for the fourth quarter. The profit before tax, $1.71 billion. CET1 ratio remaining strong at 14.5%. And uh, the company talking about high net interest income with a further increase in liability margins, helping offset the Teltro impact this quarter. I'm going to pick up on that point with Tanata Futrakul, who joins us now, the CFO of ING. Thank you very much for joining us. It looks like it was a very challenging year. You can see that in the commentary, but also some positives with the increase in net income thanks to higher interest rates, but the Teltro effect going in the opposite direction. Just run us through some of the complexities and how that final three months of the year rounded out the year for you. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Good morning. It's been an extraordinary year for us, you know, with the war in Russia, high rates, uh, inflation, energy crisis. And with that context in mind, we're very pleased with how our year has gone, in particular in the fourth quarter. And as you mentioned, rising uh, base rate by the ECB has meant that our net interest income is up 17% year on year. So robust revenue, good cost discipline, modest risk costs, and very strong capital levels. So uh, it, it's been, in that context, very pleasing to see our results. Tanata, it is ECB days, so we're all mindful of what the implications are for the banking sector, another 50 basis points potentially baked in. If I look at the various parts of business, you had core lending growth of 18 billion euros over the full year, also net deposits that were improving as well. What does another 50 basis points, if it happens today, mean for the business? Well, um, the, the expected 50 basis points means that the momentum that you see in net interest income will continue to rise. ING is one of the biggest deposit gatherer in the eurozone among European banks. And with rising rates, that bodes well in terms of net interest income for us. Having said that, of course, rising rates also mean that uh, you do see a drop off in terms of loan demands as affordability becomes more challenging for consumers. So that is what we also see in Q4, is that loan demand is slowing across the board. It's still growing, but it's growing at a lower pace than uh, perhaps we've seen historically prior to this situation. Tanate, very good morning to you. Loan demand slowing, uh, still impressive, as you say. Uh, But actually, is loan availability something that you're looking at now as well as rates go up and delinquencies potentially start to pick up as well? Yeah, it's something that we watch carefully, of course, uh, being a a big lender in the Eurozone. 
But having said that, our non-performing loan ratio remains very modest. In, in fact, it's one of the best uh, loan performance in terms of uh, NPL in the Eurozone. And we, we do not, as of Q4, see any pickup in uh, delinquencies that we were expecting. So the, the portfolio remains resilient. In terms of where the sector goes forward from here, Tanate, I'm very interested. What do you want to see from the authorities in terms of progress on banking union as well? I spoke to many CEOs recently and CFOs like yourself as well. And everyone's, I've got to be honest, a little bit frustrated at the pace of reform on A, banking union, B, capital markets as well. And actually, they say it's basically a death knell at the moment to cross-border transactions. Yeah, I, I think the, the progress on banking union legislation has been slow, um, but we're not counting for that. We are really having a very much an organic growth strategy. During the course of uh, 2022, we grew our own primary customer by almost 600,000 customer, and that's our go-to strategy in terms of client acquisition, organic growth in our major markets, continued growth in terms of our primary customer, and that's what we're focused on. And if banking union were to happen, I think we're well positioned as ING to benefit from it, operating in a number of very large uh, European economies. But we're not counting on it in terms of executing our strategy. Tanata, it's been a very difficult environment. Inflation is still a challenge when we look at Europe. We've had some numbers rolling across even over the course of this week telling us pricing pressures remain. As you look at the banking business, uh, and I know you've been trying to manage costs, expenses, but you also look across the macroeconomic environment. Just describe what you're seeing. Well, we, we see high inflation pressure. I think our cost numbers for 2022 remain flat, right? That our costs compared to 21 has remained flat, but taking aside some exceptional items, our cost growth has been remained modest in light of inflation, but that's uh, partly because of the good management in terms of uh, that we do in terms of uh, cost efficiency programs. But it says definitely something that we're watching, which is uh, how to remain cost efficient, remain digital, continue to digitize our processes, and that's what we're focused on. You're a stunningly busy man today of all days, and we always appreciate speaking to you and learning a little bit more. So thank you very much indeed for your time, sir. Uh, Tanate Futrako, who is the CFO of ING. Well, Deutsche Bank, meanwhile, has reported a 65% increase in fully year pre-tax profit. That is the highest in 15 years. Net revenues rose by 7%, but the German lender's cost-income ratio declined, with the bank also setting aside provision for credit losses of 1.2 billion euros. Uh, we are going to hear from CFO James von Moltke later in the show. Do not miss that interview. That is coming up at 7.30 CET, 20 minutes time. I'm just looking at the Santander numbers, actually, and one of the first points, the first highlights of the period, they're effectively talking about some of the taxes that they're paying in Spain, also in the UK. So I think that's fascinating here. Uh, Santander posting a beat in the fourth quarter, reporting net profit of 2.29 billion euros compared to a 2.07 billion euro forecast. The bank said says it is targeting double-digit revenue growth for this year and that it sees its CET1 ratio for the year above 12%. Plenty more detail, though. We're going to break all this down a little bit later on the show. We'll be speaking to the executive chairman of Santander, Anna Bottin. That is coming up your way at 8.15 CET, first on CNBC, naturally. We spent a lot of time over last year talking about various reorganisations at Credit Suisse trying to drive clients into wealth management activities, asset management activities, and away from investment banking as well. Well, they go up against the, the people who have been specialised that for a very long time, including 
Julius Baer. Julius Baer is the one bank in Europe where you can look at their price to book, quite frankly, uh, and see US type comparisons. It is um, without doubt that I think one of the highest publicly listed companies in terms of valuation, uh, trading at a 1.8 times price to book as well. And yet, and yet the latest numbers out from Julius Baer, well, they look quite challenged, actually. The 2022 adjusted cost income ratio, I mean, it looks high, the cost, 65.9 as opposed to a target, which is below 67. But I wouldn't say that that's the most demanding target of all time, I've got to be honest. But the problem is that profits have slumped 12% in 2022 net profit. Cautious client activity being somewhat offset by an increase in net interest income, something that Karen was raising, of course, with Tanate Futrico just now. Uh, net profit dropped to 950 million Swissy from 1.08 billion, while assets under management fell 12%. And that's interesting. They're saying it's due to corrections in global stock and bond markets. Very just interesting. wondering, is retail the better place to be in the banking space at this point? I mean, we've seen a lot of investment banking numbers also roll through asset management numbers in the last couple of days. And as we take another look at Julius Baer and compare and contrast to what we've had from ING, we've got Santander out this morning, um, we have had BBVA yesterday. Is retail the better place to be because of the net interest income and also the deposit side? Um, I think you make some brilliant points. I think valuation-wise, the market might argue with you when you look at the asset managers. When you look at a cost-income ratio, the market would agree with you because um, it is stunningly higher than you will get in retail-facing operations as well. When it comes to delinquencies, the market would disagree with you. But when it comes to you know, your exposure to HNWs, the market would agree. So I think it's actually there to play for. I think valuation-wise... I've, clearly, asset management it makes bucket loads of money, but you've got higher costs as well. And again, you are more uh, open to the oscillations of market, but perhaps less open to the oscillations in the underlying economy with the underlying consumer. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a score draw. What we really need is another big volatile year where investors want to get in and trade certain assets. Yesterday, well, I know some yeah, of the traders say were saying that, this was a big day But then they get all funny about it when we have a volatile year, saying, oh, our clients don't like the volatility in the market. So Not too much. Enough to trade in and out, right? That moves the equities uh, portfolio. Absolutely. Right. On a programming note, the CEO of Julius Baer, Philip Rickenbacker, will join us later this morning to discuss the numbers. Uh, that one is coming up at five past eight Central European time. Uh, coming up on the show, the C-suite uh, oh, the Express continues here on Scorebox. We're going to speak to Jochen Schmitz, CFO of Siemens Health and Ears, about the company's fourth quarter report card after this. And for more on the latest earnings, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts.
Right, I, I, you won't believe this, but I've actually flogged someone in the break because it's the first quarter numbers from Siemens Health and Ears, not the fourth quarter. Uh, and it's it's tough quarter. Look, it's tough co- comparisons, of course, because of these slower sales of COVID-19 antigen tests. And uh, they've had delays at one of their suppliers as well, out of its variant business. So let me just give you the numbers quickly. First quarter adjusted EBIT down 28%, but the margins are, are tougher as well. Adjusted EBIT margin 12.7 versus year earlier of 17.6. Like, I don't want to bang on about too many results when I've got the man himself waiting in the wings, Jochen Schmidt, is the CFO of Siemens Health and Ears. Jochen, lovely to see you. Um, I get why the adjusted EBIT is down. I get the comparisons. My perhaps concern is the fact that the margins are being hit so much as well, sir. Good morning. Good morning. First of all, um, I'm super happy about the business momentum. We see on a continuous basis uh, double-digit order intake uh, increase and growth, and that uh, sets up us to confirm our outlook in all regards uh, and when you look ex antigen which we always communicated we grow the business for the full year with six to eight percent and we will grow eps uh, double digit yeah? so I'm, I'm very very happy about the q1 results i have to say yeah? i'll just dig in again sir why has the margin come off so aggressively man clearly it is the main driver is uh, the antigen uh, topic secondly uh, we have still higher than in last Q1, higher uh, supply chain cost. And then China played a role. Yeah? China was hit hard by, by the pandemic. In the first two months, lockdowns. In the, sec- in the third month, then the hospitals were flooded uh, with infected uh, people. And therefore, no regular business was taking place in hospitals, which affected also our diagnostic business. Yeah? But this is, from our standpoint, uh, almost behind us. And we expect a much better p- uh, growth momentum coming out of China. And we have seen that already in the order intake in the last quarter. Jochen, what is the future of those antigen tests? I mean, how are you thinking about it? I think we've all got them lying around somewhere. Uh, they're not used that much these days. There's still concerns, though. The China situation could bring new variants. So how are you thinking about this uh, for the long term? Yeah, we, we always were very clear that we do not see this as a long-term portion of our business. Last year, we made uh, $1.5 billion of revenue with it. Uh, our outlook for this year is $100 million, and we achieved $60 million in the first quarter. And we believe that the $100 million is, is a realistic number for the full fiscal year. So we do not bang our strategy on antigen. Can I ask you about uh, acquisitions at this point? Because there was uh, a line that uh, you are potentially considering the acquisition of two units being spun off by Medtronic. Do you want to just weigh in on on, uh, where you're at in that process if you are interested? Uh, First of all, I think uh, obviously we did not talk about such things in public. Somebody else did. Um, And we are very, very happy with our portfolio. We have a very strong portfolio across the board. And uh, we we just did a major acquisition. It's one and a half years ago now, but I think it was a major one. And we are still digesting and uh, getting the value out of it. Uh, So you should not see us uh, moving in, in big steps in the near future. Jochen, can I ask you about pricing in the industry? Because we had a terrific line yesterday from Vaz Narasimhan about uh, pricing in the drugs business, that on the back of the last couple of years that some of the prices are somewhat elevated at this point. So he is cautious around acquisitions. As we look at your segment, a very different segment, what are you seeing? What do you think pricing is doing? Uh, we see uh, really a, a completely 
shift in, in, in the way pricing is, is behaving. Uh, we are used to be in a price erosion environment under normal circumstances. With the inflation kicking in, we now maneuvered our business into a price accretion environment on the equipment side, and that works extremely well. We measure that very clearly on the order intake, and due to the fact that we have some lead time between order intake and revenue, it takes some time until it finds its way into the P&L or the revenue line, but we see a good momentum and we have seen the first results also in the imaging segment already this quarter. Uh, Jochen, I, th- I think we're all excited about the progress that you can make with the, the varying operation on, uh, as he says on your the varying website, addressing the complete cancer care continuum as well. What's been the problem at varying with the supplier and has that been resolved, sir? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a known topic with a single supplier, which, which affected our Q4 results and also our Q1 results, as we indicated. This is resolved now, and we have seen already good momentum in December and are very, very confident about a, a strong, uh, strong quarter in, in Q2. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited about in, in the kind of the, the growth going forward? There's amazing from medical images to laboratory diagnostics, clinical solutions. We, we know the business by now as well. But in terms of where you see the greatest growth in revenues uh, and, and perhaps the most exciting from a science point of view as well, Jochen, where should our viewers get excited? I mean, when you look, we have a broad portfolio and I think our uh, particular, I would say, uh, value proposition lies in the combination of what we call digital twinning of defining the, I would say, the characteristics of a patient and bring this into precision therapy via digital data and AI. And I think this is a unique setup we have because we have the digital twinning capabilities with imaging and diagnostics. We have uh, uh, large offerings on on the precision therapy side with Varian and advanced therapies. And then we have in our industry, I would say the largest backbone in, in digitalization and, and artificial intelligence. And this is where I'm super excited about. And this will lead, considering all the challenges in the healthcare system, to future growth for us and, and, and uh, for us in, in those fields. Jochen, I wanted to ask you about AI, actually, but we heard so much about it in the last couple of weeks. Where do you see this going in terms of your business? Do you need to be buying certain technology to fold into the business or is it available else there, out there through other partners that you can simply just tap into for your purposes? Yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of uh, our own capabilities, which are very br- broad and deep in this field and we do this for more than two decades on our own yeah i mean as you know our business in imaging for example is a digital business the outcome of of every imaging or every scan you take is a digital result yeah and we have long lasting experience with reading and interpreting images for example with machine learning and ai Uh, and it's about partnerships yeah you also make use of the I would say at light speed developing technologies in this field and the combination of both our own capabilities with with what is available in the marketplace will bring meaningful solutions to our customers. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.